This is Ozarks at Large for Wednesday, May 10th, 2023 on 91.3 KUAF, a listener-supported service of the School of Journalism and Strategic Media at the University of Arkansas. I'm Kyle Kellams. Later this hour, how much do you know about Arkansas's state parks? We observe 100 years of state park existence with a quiz. You can play along with us. That's in our second half hour. First, Producers use nutrient management plans to keep tabs on the amount on the land to prevent pollution. Ozarks at Large's Anna Pope reports, although some plans are already not public record, former Arkansas House Bill 1707, now Act 530, amends an existing law making nutrient management plans unavailable for public inspection, not public records, and exempt from the Arkansas Freedom of Information Act. Nutrient management plans are unique to a farm and can vary depending on where it's based and on the type of operation. Bridget Rollins, staff attorney at the National Agricultural Law Center, says by and large plans include things like a farm's location, aerial photographs, and legal requirements. It's all about kind of monitoring what these nutrient applications are doing, not just to, you know, the land itself, but to some of the surrounding areas. It's to help with some of that water quality, some of that soil quality. And then there are requirements also that um, applicators take a look at, you know, how did our crops do as we're applying these nutrients? So there's also some keeping records on how the nutrients are affecting the crops themselves. Records surrounding the poultry industry containing specific information about a nutrient management plan or nutrient application are not to be made public record, according to Act 1059 that passed in 2003. Republican Representative Deanne Vaught of Horatio was the lead sponsor of the House bill that became Act 530 this session. Although she did not get back to Ozarks at large in a House committee meeting, Vaught says the new measure is to secure information. We're just making this where it can't be just found. You've got to actually FOIA for it or figure out a way to get to it. But it's just not where you can look my name up and target me. A nutrient management plan under this act is not a public record, shall not be made available for public inspection, and is exempt from the Freedom of Information Act, or FOIA. The then-House bill was filed on March 27th and sent to Governor Sarah Huckabee Sanders' desk nine days later. A long part of the western and northern border of the state and most of northwest Arkansas is the nutrient surplus area. This space has high levels of nutrients, and if they were continually applied on the land, then it could harm soil and water. The nutrient surplus area is home to places experiencing rapid population growth, the Beaver Lake watershed, and one of the largest water suppliers in the state, Beaver Water District. Lane Kreider, chief executive officer of Beaver Water District, says his main concern is about the scope of the bill. But if I am going to apply a product in a watershed, whether it's here or somewhere else in the state, that you know has a direct impact on water quality or the potential to have direct impact, then you know there are there are certain expectations, and and people should have the right to know, you know what those activities are. There are many exemptions to Arkansas's FOIA law, and Robert Steinbach, University of Arkansas law professor and a 2022 Arkansas Freedom of Information Task Force member says bills narrowing down the scope of FOIA come up often. 
When it comes to a government deciding when an individual's information should be public information, Steinbuck says people should be discerning and provides an example of when a person's information is made public. Now, you might say, well, isn't all information that the government gets uh, from an individual? Uh, And while it's not, it's certainly a fair question. But another, in contrast to, let's say, an individual um, wants to rezone his property uh, for a commercial use, from a residential use. Well, that's of important um, uh, use to members of the community. So while it comes from an individual, uh, that's for a a change in public use of property, and that's an example of where the public should be entitled to that information. For Ozarks at Large in the Bruce and Ann Applegate News Studio One, I'm Anna Pope. Let's keep talking about what's under our feet. The documentary Dirt will be shown tomorrow night at the Fayetteville Public Library. Dirt, an Arkansas PBS production, examines how Arkansas farmers are working to preserve the soil they and we need. This morning, I reached Jennifer Gibson, the film's director, by Zoom. A lot of things that we cover in the documentary, um, like water preservation, um, preventing soil erosion and things like that, Um, I think one of the most interesting things that I found was um, how to maintain the life in the soil. And that's, it gets really complicated um, because there's a lot of, um, a lot of chemicals that go into it. You have to basically be a scientist to be a farmer Mm. these days. And so, um, but I will give you one because there is so much, I will give you one that I thought was really interesting and that's mycorrhizal. Um, relationships, so mycorrhizal fungi networks. Um, So that's one way in order to keep their plants grounded, rooted really well, they're keeping their soil healthy and they're getting the mycorrhizal fungi to grow. Mm. And that's one of the ways that they can tell if their soil is healthy. And basically what that is, is it's it's a symbiotic relationship between plants and fungus where the fungal network connects to the roots of the plants and becomes an extension of the roots and allows the nutrients to go into the roots. But so it spreads out the roots and allows it to connect to the soil better and uh, hold it in place to prevent erosion and to you know, provide more nutrients for the life in the soil. I like that you said that farmers have to be scientists because when you're describing that, and that process, I'm thinking, this is also somebody who's, you know, thinking about paying the bills, mm-hmm. has a family, growing the crops, getting them, you know, to a wholesaler or whatever. It sounds, <laughs> it sounds overwhelming to me. It sounds overwhelming to me, too, honestly. Um, and I did find out that this process can actually save money. So you have to learn a lot. And you have to be constantly checking your soil, testing it to make sure that you're putting out the right amount of fertilizer and things. But um, the more work that you do to make the soil healthy, the less products you have to put on it. Um, So like, for instance, one thing that some farmers are doing is they're connecting with cattle ranchers and um, they will put out a cover crop in between their cash crops and allow the cattle to graze and they fertilize the land and then they plant their cash crops. 
And so they're getting free fertilizer and the cows are getting their nutrients. One thing I like about the farmers we meet in dirt is you mentioned different kinds of agriculture, but they're different kinds of people in age and how they look. It's a wide variety of farmers that we meet. Yes. Uh, so they are they are quite an interesting group because um, there's Margie Raimondo, who is firecracker and she uh she has her own little it's not that little but is she has an urban farmstead in Little Rock of all places um on about an acre and grows all of these little plants and then you have um Raymond Kelly whose family has been you know ranching for generations and then there's Adam Chapel who has 6000 i think no 8000 acre row crop with his with his brother and uh yeah, it's all, they're all very different um, and they're all very important. And But I think it is nice to let people know that, you know, these are the farmers in your neighborhood. <laughs> I know this is about agriculture. I know this is about science. I know this is about sustainability. Ultimately, it feels to me it's about people. Yes. Um, it is about people. You're right. And um and I hadn't really thought about it being ultimately about people, but it is, it's about, um, it is about the conservation practices that you can do yourself, but it's also about how agriculture brings us together. I think uh, it's about understanding what the farmers are going through and understanding agriculture in a way that makes it a little more human. Jennifer Gibson is the director of Dirt, produced by Arkansas PBS. The film will be shown tomorrow night in the Walker Community Room at the Fayetteville Public Library, along with the short film The Lines Farm, Eight Generations of Farming, that short film presented by the Ozark Natural Foods Co-op. The entire event, with a panel discussion after the films, presented by the Arkansas Cinema Society and Arkansas PBS. It begins tomorrow night at 6 at the library, and it's free. Disney Concerts presents Star Wars The Empire Strikes Back in Concert Friday, September 8th at the Walmart Amp. Guests will watch a screening of the film as members of the Symphony of Northwest Arkansas perform John Williams' Oscar-winning score live. Tickets and information at amptickets.com. This is Ozarks at Large, the latest episode of the podcast The Beloved Community a co-production of KUAF and the Northwest Arkansas Martin Luther King Jr. Council, is titled D-E-Y. Host Chris Seawood talks with Dr. Ricky Booker. Booker is a diversity, equity, and inclusion consultant and trainer, as well as a newspaper columnist, mentor, and more. Their conversation in this second episode of The Beloved Community covers plenty of ground, including making room for differences of opinion. For this excerpt, we'll drop in as Ricky Booker discusses how considering a variety of experiences can help him when writing an op-ed for the Arkansas Democrat Gazette. When you can see a story of a person that you may not know, um, but may be similar to you, then you can really start to lean in versus just my own opinion. Mm. Um, because my column isn't uh, it's an op-ed, it's an opinion column, but I really try to bring in um, data, I bring in narratives, and I try to um, bring in facts about what the issue is. And then I challenge people to um, think outside the box, or mm -hmm. should I, I should maybe say expand their box. Yeah. So instead yeah. of thinking outside, expand your box, because our world is changing, and whether we want it to or not, 
um, we have to somehow figure out how to adapt to the change. Yeah, that's good. And so how has that opened, uh, um, how has that helped you, helped you open um, up new conversations or has it helped you open up new conversations, you know, and particularly writing for a large publication like the Democrat Gazette, you know, I'm sure you, you know, everybody's not going to agree with your op-ed <laughs> when they see it. So when that happens, how, how, what's been your interactions with those detractors as they may be? Um, um, how do those conversations go or has that opened up a new world that allow you to challenge people's perspectives or even have your own cha- perspectives challenged? Yeah, absolutely. I definitely have had my per, uh, perspective challenge, and I, I've definitely been able to connect with folks who agree with me and who disagree with me. Mm-hmm. Um, every month, whenever my article publishes, I always get emails, whether good or uh, detractors, as you said, mm-hmm. and uh, always respond, yeah. always engage people because I feel like, how can I put it? I know that some people will never change, and that's okay. Mm-hmm. But the way that I approach things, I feel like, um, my job is to meet people where they are. And if someone reaches out to me um, in a respectful manner, I'll mm-hmm. say that, mm-hmm. um, then I'll respond and I'll engage with them because I, what I've learned is I think about, I continually think about myself. And I just think about where I was five or 10 years ago mm-hmm. and my mindset and my perceptions about a number of different things. Mm-hmm. And I have now shifted my views on those things. And it's not because someone forced me to change my mind. It's not because I was indoctrinated. Mm-hmm. It was because I was given new information that I did not have. Mm-hmm. And it was because I took that information and I looked into it a little bit deeper. And I'm like, wow, no one has ever shared this with me. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, that has been so helpful to me. So I tried to lend that same, uh, I guess, courtesy to other people as well. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's so important because, again, our world is changing And people, I feel like people, um, some people are upset and they're angry because they feel like they're being left behind. Mm. Uh, And I do, I got friends that are like, you know what? I don't really care about people being left behind. Mm. This is the change right now and they need to get on board. Mm. Uh, And I respect that. But for me, I hear that and I say, okay, that's great. That's the road you want to take. Well, the road I want to take for those who do want to engage and who are trying to understand, who don't get it because you know, for their entire life, they've always uh, looked at things a certain way. And now it's like, oh, well, here's how the world is operating now. Um, somebody needs to, in my opinion, be able to step in the gap and try to help them get information that they did not have before. Hmm. I think that's great. I think that's great. And and as an admirer, I know of, of Dr. the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, as you are, uh, um, and a quote I'm always reminded of is that, you know, we really – as much as we can, it's it's is working to make um, a so-called enemy a friend um, where possible. I mean, um, at the end of the day, um, so yeah, that's that's a great great perspective. So, just changing speeds just a little bit um, to DEI um, <laughs> as a seasoned DEI professional, Ricky. Um, so, what are your perspectives on the successes? and challenges of DEI and professional workspaces? Oh, that's a great question. Um, 
I'll start out by just saying, just giving a little information about how DEI, I guess, started and how it has transformed. Because most people don't even understand. They just feel like it's something that just popped up. And mm -hmm. now we're trying to indoctrinate folks into uh, understanding a new worldview. Mm -hmm. uh, but DEI positions uh, came out of the civil rights movement mm -hmm. uh, and many other things, too. I mean, we could we could have 15 podcasts about so many benefits that all of us in this country benefit from from the civil rights movement. But specific to DEI, it came out of the civil rights movement. Um, it started as diversity, just getting people who looked differently, specifically black folks, specifically mm -hmm. brown folks, specifically women into the workforce. Um, and then eventually it moved into diversity and inclusion. And now it is diversity, equity, inclusion, access, belonging, and so many other things because mm -hmm. it's really leaning into um, systems of oppression. Mm -hmm. So anyone who's in a, who has been marginalized or minoritized in our society has a place in DEI. And the reality is that is all of us. Mm -hmm. Even if we are not yet um, clear on what the minoritized identity that we hold may be, mm -hmm. at some point, I'm just going to say just a very simple one, at some point all of us are probably going to end up with a disability, whether mm -hmm. it's now or whether it's as we get older. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, as we know, when we look at people who have disabilities, the spaces in which we all go to, whether it's work, whether it's a grocery store, are not designed specifically for people with disabilities. Mm. That's why we have the American Disabilities Act that said, okay, now we're going to make sure that we put elevators in buildings. Yeah. There's ADA requirements that says, oh, well, you have to have your door this size so that someone, if they're in a the wheelchair or whatever the case may be, they'll be able to access that building to be able to you know, get to the resources that you're trying to provide. And so um, in the corporate world, DEI really started with global diversity officers um, uh, the past, I would say, 10 or 15 years. And then before that, it was the vice president for community affairs in the 70s and 80s. Again, came out, coming out of the civil rights movement. And again, it has expanded to uh, really try to, I guess, provide more inclusion for everyone. Mm -hmm. And so oftentimes I hear people who um, who uh, who want to just lean in when they hear DEI, they think people of color, they think sexual orientation, they think gender identity. Mm -hmm. Now, while those things are a part of that, that's not they're not exclusive. Mm -hmm. They're all of us fall within within DEI. And the reality is, you know, DEI is a in my opinion, a simple and nice way to talk about things that have happened in our country to just give people awareness. Mm. That's pretty much it. We're mm. not trying to tell you you have to do this. We're giving you awareness so that you will be prepared. I kind of look at it like giving people the scaffolding they need to navigate our society. Mm -hmm. Because imagine if you are, if you just imagine if, you know, we have legislatures one day that will say, we're going to ban books and there's certain books that you can't read when you're in K through 12. Imagine if that happened. Imagine. <laughs> so if that were to happen, yes, our children, our kids spend a significant amount of time at school. Mm -hmm. Well, there's also something called the real world as well. Mm -hmm. They're going to go to the Boys and Girls Club. They're going to go to Walmart. They're going to go to different venues where they interact with people. And they're still going to have to navigate the issues in our society. Yeah. yeah. So the question I always ask is, how are we preparing our children to navigate a world that is continually changing? Mm -hmm. Dr. Ricky Booker talked with Chris Seawood at the Carver Center for Public Radio. You can hear the entire latest episode of the podcast, The Beloved Community, at KUAF.com or wherever 
you get your podcasts. The Beloved Community is a co-production of the Northwest Arkansas Martin Luther King Jr. Council and KUAF 91.3. So moms, right? Relationships with our mothers can be, well, different. For some, our moms are our very best friend. For others, well, simply put, it can just be different. As Mother's Day approaches on Sunday, we want to share your mom story with our listeners. Be it as a mom, about your mom, maybe about someone else's mom. You can call the KUAF Connect line at 479-575-6577. That's 575-6577. And give us your mom story. Again, 575-6577. And remember, at KUAF, your voice matters. Still to come this hour, making a movie isn't often easy and rarely is it inexpensive. But New York-based filmmaker and former Bentonville resident Nancy Pop says there is a proper attitude toward making a film. There's another quote that I'm definitely going to paraphrase again. You can make you can make something fast, you can make something cheap, and you can make something good, but you can't have all three. So I'd rather make something cheap and good than making it fast and cheap. Nancy Pop will screen her movie, Poets Are the Destroyers, next week at the Bakery District in Fort Smith as a co-presentation of the Arkansas Cinema Society and the Fort Smith International Film Festival. We asked her about what got her started on this film and why shooting a movie in a bookstore can be inspiring and challenging. That conversation ahead on today's Ozarks at Large. Mary Beth Brooks has been director of the Arkansas Small Business and Technology Development Center at the University of Arkansas since 2018. We help people grow their businesses. Probably about 30% of what we do are, are businesses that are in already existing, people who are either, either looking to add a new location, folks who are uh, adding new product lines or just trying to grow, and then sometimes some who are just looking to survive. We can really work through cash flow and try to make some adjustments and try to give them advice that way. And then the remaining probably 15% or so are people who are buying and selling businesses. You can hear more from Mary Beth Brooks in this month's edition of Short Talks from the Hill, a research and economic development podcast from the University of Arkansas. Listen at KUAF.com, at arkansasresearch.uark.edu, or wherever you get your podcasts. The TED Radio Hour, Sunday afternoon at 1 on 91.3 KUAF. Voters in Springdale are giving approval to a series of bond issues. The measures passed overwhelmingly in a special election yesterday. Also, Springdale School Board Director Michelle McCaslin-Cook and Fayetteville School Board Member Keaton Smith both won contested races for re-election, each earning about three-fourths of the votes cast. A proposed millage increase to benefit Northwest Arkansas Community College failed yesterday, with about 56 percent of votes against the measure. Beaver Water District officials are moving ahead with several projects. At an April meeting, directors approved a nearly $67 million contract for the Western Corridor Pipeline. It will be a 60-inch wide pipe carrying treated water 40,000 feet west. The notice to proceed expected this month, and construction is planned to be finished in 2025. During that same meeting, directors approved a contract for the construction of a Western Corridor pump station. That station expected to cost about $39 million and will have six pumps for Fayetteville and Springdale and can add eight pumps for Bentonville and Rogers. 
The district's legal counsel and energy company Next Era still working on contracts for the district's solar park, which is scheduled to be completed by December 31, 2024. The projects cost about $10 million, expected to provide 15 to 20 percent of the water district's electricity. Governor Sarah Huckabee Sanders signed a law to help more military children access school vouchers. SB 458 will allow the children of active duty military members and uniformed service personnel to apply for money to attend private schools. Under the new Arkansas Learns Law, families who wish to enroll their children in private schools can receive tax money in the form of a voucher or education freedom account. Standing at the Little Rock Air Force Base, the governor embraced her support of the legislation. Which is why today is exciting for us because we want Arkansas to be the very best place in the entire country for any person in service to live. And one of the ways that we get to do that is by making sure that every child in the state of Arkansas has access to the best education possible. The school vouchers in Learns have been criticized for taking money out of the public school system and putting it in private schools, which are not open to all students and lack the same regulatory standards. A lawsuit is underway saying Learns is not legitimate because its legislative votes were incorrectly gathered. I think it is uh, an absolutely absurd lawsuit, has zero merit, uh, very confident in the fact that the attorney general will be, be able to fight back. The, the sad thing is this is a political game that people are playing with children's futures. The governor says the educational freedom accounts will be phased in over the next three years. The Arkansas Department of Agriculture is soliciting entries in the 10th annual Arkansas Grown School Garden of the Year contest through June 11th. Prizes from $500 to $1,000 will be awarded to schools in several different categories, including Best Overall School Garden and Best Education-Based School Garden. The contest is open to any school, early childhood education facility, or alternative learning environment that had a school garden during this past school year or is planning to start a garden in the next school year. The 2023 SEC softball tournament continues at Bogle Park today with four games. Last night, Missouri defeated Mississippi State in the tournament's first game. The Arkansas Razorbacks will open their play tomorrow against the winner of today's Alabama-Missouri contest. And the Northwest Arkansas Naturals' four-game winning streak is over after last night's 8-4 loss in North Little Rock to the Arkansas Travelers. The Nats are away from Arvest Ballpark in Springdale until Tuesday when they'll start a six-game homestand against the Springfield Cardinals. This is Ozarks at Large. Next week, the movie Poets Are the Destroyers will be the latest installment in the Thursday night film series taking place at the Bakery District in Fort Smith. Created by former Bentonville resident Nancy Pop, it's about a young poet in New York City dealing with writer's block during an unexpected pregnancy. The screening on Thursday the 18th is hosted by the Fort Smith International Film Festival and the Arkansas Cinema Society. Nancy Pop says a public screening of a film is a crown jewel in the creative process. Man, it just makes everything so worth it. Even if the reactions are horrible, even if no one's like actually paying attention, at least like the moment that you've been doing all of this work for, you're finally getting to see it and experience it with people. So it just, it, it, it makes everything worth it. And it also just, it's that perfect bookend, you know, otherwise if you don't have that experience, you're kind of just left in the great abyss of wondering what could have happened if something got shown or not, you know? Is there something that you might see 
through a communal experience that you might not have otherwise seen as just the creator of the film? Yeah, all the time. I I feel like last year especially, I went to so many festivals. I was screening a bunch of different short films and also Poets Are the Destroyers. And uh, every festival, everyone had a different reaction to the different films I was showing. And so seeing moments where some audiences would laugh and others wouldn't, or some people would gasp and others wouldn't, and also comparing, you know, the audience sizes, the cities that it's all in. It's so interesting because it just really shows you like, the experience of any type of art, whether it's film or a painting or a book, it's so subjective, you know, there's no right or wrong, there's no bad or good, it's just, it just is what it is, and that's the beauty of it all. Poets are the destroyers. Part of this at, on its spine is about creativity, and I'm wondering what that is like for a creative person to examine the role of creativity or the the, the sort of um, exploration of how the process works. What's that like putting it together? Putting it together, um, it's for me, it's really kind of a, a strategic guessing game <laughs> because you never really know how anything is going to end up, you know, and there's this some sort of quote, I'm going to paraphrase it, but filmmaking is, is storytelling told in three different processes. There's the writing process, the filming process, and then the editing process. And by the time it's all said and done, you probably very likely have a completely different thing than what you set out to make. Not that it's so off, off air that it's not the same thing anymore, but the expectation of what you're going to create will definitely differ than the end product. So it, it's definitely a strategic guessing game. You know, you you have your collaborators that you choose very carefully, your actors, your camera, your lenses, the lighting, all the creative stuff, all the fun stuff. But then as you're making it, you know, you have no clue what's going to happen. So that also makes it fun and interesting. Do you remember, was there a particular flash of inspiration for this project for you, for the for the film? Yeah, definitely. There was, uh, so a few years ago, I was hosting a writing workshop at this bookstore called Spoonbill and Sugartown Booksellers. And I was co-hosting it with the screenwriter of Poets Are the Destroyers. His name is J.C. Hopkins. So what we did was every month we would all bring in different uh, you know, short scripts or poems or short stories, and we would read them out loud together and we would offer peer critiques and reviews. And it, it just became like a, a free writer's workshop, basically, that we were doing every month. So JC would come in and he would bring different scenes from what became Poets Are the Destroyers. Um, and then I think after maybe six or seven months, he had completed the whole, the whole script and he just approached me for it. And he was like, why don't we do this? Because this is kind of like life imitates art kind of a project you know it's all about this bookstore and these characters and at the time the bookstore was also hosting poetry nights which we're still doing at Spoonbill and the writer's workshop and it just all seemed very uh um you know kismet like the opportunity to do it and this was I think two years before COVID too so we had no idea what was going to happen but good good thing that we got it out of the way then before that bookstore ended up closing um Spoonbill still has a location in Brooklyn um at their original shop but yeah that that Bushwick location closed down because of COVID and good thing we have this film to immortalize it and you know it was just such a creative hub I I, I remember going to so many art galleries and poetry nights and reading series there. And for me, I think the ultimate inspiration was wanting to showcase, uh, you know, how creative communities kind of develop and 
how they take part in our lives, what they do to us, how they inspire us, how they build relationships and connections and where those can go. And so it was definitely for me like a big time in my life where I felt like I was going through a lot of growth and change. And I think that the film for me reflected that. You're filming in what was a bookstore. What are the challenges there? Because, you know, you're not being able to build a set out of imagination or two by fours. You've got to work with the space that you're given. Did that present any sort of lighting or marking challenges? The lighting was definitely a challenge, just maintaining that, you know, there's one side of the bookstore where it's all glass windows, and then the side in the back, there's only one small window. So as the sun is going up and down and we're racing against time, definitely one of the biggest challenges was just making sure that the lighting stayed consistent. And it was also, you know, we we definitely had people working with us, but it wasn't a like full-on film team. We didn't have a production designer. We had a few production assistants helping out here and there when they were available, but it was really just me and the DP, Sam Wilson, most of the time doing it on our own with, you know, like I said, one or two people helping out. So it, it was also just up to us to really be looking at the camera and also referencing the script and making sure, oh yeah, it's supposed to be daytime. Oh, now it's supposed to be sunset. Oh, now it's supposed to be evening and just making sure everything matches up. But also as far as like the bookstore goes and the the you know set design that you had mentioned, fortunately the script was written to be filmed in that bookstore. So that didn't present a huge challenge, but we also weren't super sure about things like copyright, like, oh, if the title of this one book is in the frame, are we gonna get in trouble if this movie actually makes any money someday, you know? And so we had to look at the camera and again just move things around, shuffle things best as we could, just the two of us, and and make it happen. And we did. You've got to be doing all this, as you mentioned earlier, selecting the lenses, all that. But also, you want the humanity to come in through the story. I mean, you never want us, when we're watching, to think, oh, it's still... Or you don't want us to consciously think, oh, it's still daytime or it's sunset. You That just happens for us through the film... You've got to do the technical stuff in the background, but you've got to make sure that story is there front and center. That's got to be, well, there's art there. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I mean, we also, you know, it's not like we shot this in five days. We definitely, we we scheduled the whole production of this filming based on the actors' schedules. We didn't have a huge budget to work with. We didn't have any budget to work with. Um, so we really just asked everyone that was working with us, when are you available? Are you available for like five hours this day or you know, eight hours that day or whatever? And we took our time filming the majority of the film over the course of four months from June 2018 to I think September or October 2018. But then, because we had spent so much time filming with just the actors, we needed to film footage of the city as well. And the whole movie is set in the summertime. And so we finished the majority of the filming in October. We had to wait until summer 2019 to then dri literally just drive around the city and get footage of just the city being the city, you know. So fortunately, at least in that interim period, we were able to start editing and putting the story together in post-production. But uh, definitely, you know, when you're making something with very little budget, there's another quote that I'm definitely going to paraphrase again. You can make you can make something fast, you can make something cheap, and you can make something good, but you can't have all three. So I'd rather make something cheap and good than making it fast and cheap, because then it's not going to be good. Right. You know. 
And if it's so, not good. Then what's the point? Right. <laughs> We're talking about New York and Poets are the Destroyers, the film set there. But you've got a deep Arkansas connection, too, don't you? Yeah, yeah. I um, I moved to northwest Arkansas when I was 10 years old. And I lived in Bentonville for pretty much all of my, um, I think it's called junior high there in mm-hmm. I lived in Pennsylvania before and they called it middle school so I was really surprised to learn about this like junior high terminology but I went to junior high and I went to high school in Bentonville and I moved to New York when I was 17 for college um so my family's still in Bentonville and I I go back I want to say like once or twice a year and I really love seeing all of the the growth that has happened in the community like with the museum with the film festival with Filmland, everything that's going on is so cool and like makes me want to live there again but I don't feel I'm done with New York quite yet I asked you about the spark you know the the genesis of the film itself what about for you to do all the things that you do connected to film what what sort of nudge you that way I think I'm just the kind of person I can't really sit still I always have to be having something to do and I've I've never I've never been uh focused on just one thing which is both I think a strength of mine and also probably a weakness at the same time uh but I've really grown to accept this about myself and just accept that I'm just a curious person. I let my curiosity lead me to everywhere I go. And I think that's really important. You know, that's for me, how I grow as a person and how I uh, develop my life and like come into myself. So for me, yeah, it's just curiosity. It's like wanting to figure out something about a person or a culture or piece of history or psychology or whatever it is I really want to just like dig into it whether that means I'm like writing something or directing it or acting or producing I just really love to put myself fully into something if I'm genuinely curious about it. The film Poets Are the Destroyers will be shown Thursday May 18th at the Bakery District in Fort Smith. A filmmaker mixer begins at six that evening. Film starts at seven. A question and answer session will follow the screening. A five dollar donation is suggested. The Artisphere Festival Orchestra returns to Walton Arts Center with two main stage concerts under the baton of Maestro Corrado Rivera's, featuring more than 90 musicians from around the world, presenting works by Brahms and Beethoven May 16th and Respighi's Roman Trilogy on May 20th. Tickets and more at artisphererefestival.org. This is Ozarks at Large with me in the Anthony and Susan Hoy News Studio, Jasper Logan, mm-hmm. who uh, is in con- I was going to say in control of our community engagement. No one's in control of community engagement, but you direct it. <laughs> you can't control it. <laughs> and similarly, Lee Wood, who tries to control what happens at KUAF. But... Some days. Some days I do. <laughs> and I'm so excited because this is our next installment in the Ozarks at Large Quiz. Okay. Mm. And I specifically wanted to have someone who is an Arkansas native. Lee, you were born me? in Fayetteville. Yes. No, I was born in Little Rock, but still. Okay. Uh, but an Arkansas native. Yes. Jasper, who's not an Arkansas native? Yeah, that is correct. I, I know not. that you, I think you grew up in Chicago. Were you born in Illinois? I was. I was born okay. in Chicago. Okay. Mm-hmm. Very good. So I wanted to have you guys to be able to talk through different experiences. The reason we're doing this is uh, this year is the 100th anniversary of the Arkansas State Park System. Mm. Technically, it was 1923 when legislation was passed that would allow state parks to exist. It was a few years before we had a first state park. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you that there are 52 state parks in Arkansas. And the goal of these quiz is not to make anyone feel bad because they miss the questions, because I try to make them questions that no one should feel bad about. I'm mm. glad that you're saying this. Yes. I, I, I want you to state specifically, we're not supposed to know the right. answer. 
This isn't this isn't Jeopardy, right? This is where you work together to. Is okay. there a logical answer to these okay. questions? All okay. All right. All right. Okay. Uh, okay. I mentioned that there was a first state park. Which of these four do you think was the first state park in Arkansas? Was it Petty Jean State Park, which is located near Moralton? Mm-hmm. Okay. Devil's Den, which is you know south of Fayetteville, right, West Fort Fort Smith area. Mm-hmm. Was it historic Washington State Park in? Washington, Arkansas, mm. or was it the Louisiana Purchase State Park in Brinkley? This is my line of thinking. Mm-hmm. The Louisiana State, the Louisiana Purchase State Park, which may be fake. I don't know. That's I. I, I think I'm on the same wavelength as that you. It, That's what I was thinking too. That like maybe that one's the first one. Well, Brinkley is on the eastern part of the state. Okay. For some reason, I imagine this moving from the east to the. I don't know. That makes um, sense. I'm not saying you're right, but one I, of those two was my like one of those two. What Brinkley? What was the other one? And the uh, the historic Louisiana. Washington State they're Park. The same. Oh, they're the same. Yeah. Wait, are they? What? The what? Louisiana Purchase <laughs> State Park is In, near. I mean, near Brinkley. Oh, near it's Brinkley. that's the Brinkley one. Then mm-hmm. what's the last one you said? Uh, well, that that, one. that was. The but last there was one. also the historic Washington State Maybe Park that's what in I'm Washington, Arkansas. That's me those too. Two. You know what? Okay. I think we should go historic Washington. Okay. Louisiana, I, I've never known about it. I don't know that much, but I don't know. Louisiana Purchase State Park seems made up. Is there a potential for one of these to be not real at all? These are all four legit state parks. Okay. 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 <laughs> um, I think we should go Brinkley. You know, I'm I'm thinking because the Louisiana Purchase, that was a thing that happened a long, long time, time ago. ago. Yes. Right. So I'm thinking like... Maybe that if it happened around the same time, but it could throw us off because it could be something that's just like commemorating, yeah, yes. like yes. hearkening back well, to this. That's what I. It think. could have been made like yesterday. <laughs> I know. And it was like we want to remember. Okay, then let's go with the one that says historic. That's what I was thinking too. Yes, but is that too easy? Yes. Okay. But I mean. You're- I have to say I'm thrilled because this did exactly what I wanted it to do. <laughs> it's Petty Jean State Park. Oh, but no. here's the thing: you were thinking right, east to west would make sense because yeah. that's how it developed. Historic Washington Park is commemorating the first state capital of Arkansas, mm. Louisiana Purchase. So those are the older places, mm. but they weren't state parks. No, they weren't. <laughs> Let's go a little closer to our studios, okay. Devil's Den in the Lee Creek Valley between West Fork and Fort Smith. It has the largest what in the United States? Does it have the largest officially designated bat cave in the United States? Mm. Does it have the largest sandstone crevice in the United States? Does it have the largest earth dam in the United States? Mm. Or does it have the largest karst boulder in the United States? There's what's, no way you should know this. I don't what's think. a karst boulder? Thank you for asking that. I made that up, so you can eliminate <laughs> that. <laughs> Okay, 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 okay. Good job. Okay. So you're down to the, you're down to the, very good. You're down to the largest designated bat cave, the largest sandstone crevice, or the largest earthen dam. Okay, but I don't want do you not what's your opinion? I have no idea. <laughs> Which is the whole goal. You're not supposed to. All right. Bat cave. Bat cave. It's the largest sandstone crevice in the United States. Oh my oh, god. You know, okay, okay, okay. Okay. I have, We're 0 of 2 right now. Yes. I'm going to give you partial credit on that. I'm going to say you're 0.5 because okay. you you smelled out the Karst Boulder. That's Good right. Uh, so 
We're going to give you a half point for that. I'm familiar with my boulders. There you I go. I haven't heard of a car once. Well, you, <laughs> I'm going to give you three-fourths of a point for that. I have never been to the Crater of Diamonds State Park in Murfreesboro. Mm-hmm. Okay. I feel bad that I've lived in Arkansas as long as I have, and I've never been there. You've got time. I do have time. Well, every day you have less time. So I need to do that. Now, it's the only place in the United States where you can, you know, find diamonds. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. If you find a diamond there, and it's large enough to name, who gets to name that diamond? Is it the Arkansas Department of Parks, Heritage, and Tourism? Is it the United States Jewelry Council? Is it the person who found the diamond? Or is it the Arkansas Secretary of Commerce? Say the first one again. Um, the Arkansas Department of Parks, Heritage, and Tourism, the people who oversee oh, okay. the Arkansas parks. Someone found a diamond not that long ago Right. that was large. Yeah. What happened? And that diamond has a name. Who got to name it? Okay, uh, give us the options again. All right. Uh, the Arkansas Department of Parks, Heritage, and Tourism, who oversees state parks. The United States Jewelry Council. Okay. The person, <laughs> she's shaking, Lee's shaking her head on that one. The person who found the diamond or the Arkansas Secretary of Commerce. United States Jewelry Council is not a thing? I, I don't, I, that it just is seems. Not. Oh. Or if it is, <laughs> I think when you smoke something out, I'm going to okay. tell you. Thank you. I appreciate that. I mean, I I think I want it to be the person who finds it so I know. bad. That's, yeah. So it's hard for me to know. But it seems like I feel like I've seen I've seen this these stories. You know, every once in a while, every yeah. few years, somebody finds a big diamond. So maybe let's go with the person who finds it. Bing! It's the person who finds <laughs> it. Yes. Let's go to Northeast Arkansas, okay. Mammoth Spring State Park. Okay. Have you ever been there? Mm-hmm. It's beautiful. Mm-hmm. It's home to Mammoth Spring which is the largest natural spring in Arkansas and the seventh largest natural spring in the world. It's been designated a national natural landmark. What's the average amount of gallons per hour of water that flow from this spring? So you go any time of the year, any time of day, this is the average amount of water that's coming out of this spring. Is it 90,000 gallons of water per hour? 900,000 gallons per hour? 9 million gallons per hour? Or 90 million gallons Goodness. of water per hour. <laughs> and I will admit to you, wow. I have no idea what one would look like compared to the other. Me either. That's not yeah. like, I, as you're saying comes. these numbers, like I have no point of reference. I know what a it. gallon of milk looks like. <laughs> so, but do you, so let's imagine 90,000 gallons. So it was 900, 90,000, 90,000, 900,000. 9 million, 90 million gallons. So we're starting at 90,000. We're starting at 90,000. Can I ask a follow-up question? You may. Does this, what does the spring f- feed into spring river-wise? River. Spring, spring River. river. Mm. Okay. And it's, this is a wonderful place. I just can't imagine it being greater than 90,000 gallons an hour. Me, me either. And may, yeah. Me, yeah, me either. Okay. But it, I can't either, but it's nine. It's actually 9.7 million gallons per hour. That is nuts. It is, right? So, what? So, it's all this water that runs into streams and underground. It's coming from Missouri and all over. And so, it is just being forced out. If you ever get a chance, it's kind of scary. Unnerving. Yeah, yeah. to see wow. all this. And it comes out. Consistently at 58 degrees. Right. It's great for trout fishing, apparently. I'm not a trout fish- fisherman. Uh, so this is the last question. Mount Magazine near Paris mm. hosts the annual Mount Magazine International Butterfly Festival. It is a natural habitat for the state's official butterfly. The official butterfly is the monarch, mm. 
the Diana Flitterary, the Mount Magazine Chagrin, or the Rufus Crown? <laughs> Say that again. <laughs> we just want to hear him again. Okay. The, the monarch, the, 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 the monarch butterfly, the Diana Fritillary, the Mount Magazine Chagrin, Chagrin, or the Rufus Crown. Wow, that sounds so good. I, we gotta go monarch. I mean, you know, yeah. Do you know this, the monarch. Well, you, you I mean, we're we're in the monarch. Um, Migration, migration path, path and okay. uh, and it, there's a, a lot of cultivation of trying to keep that path, mm. you know, healthy and steady. And and I do think that it's our state butterfly. I think so. Oh God, I'm gonna be no. Wrong. Wait, first of all, I'll tell you that the Mount Magazine Chagrin is actually a snail that's thought to only be found on Mount Magazine. Amazing. Okay. The Rufus Crown is a sparrow, mm. and the official state butterfly of Arkansas is the Diana Fritillary. I was, you know, I was oh, literally, I was I'm like, sorry. we think it's the Mount Monarch, but I was like, it's probably it's a, 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 a flitterary? A Diana Fritillary. Diana, fr- Diana Fritillary. Diana Fritillary. Yes. Fritillary. Wow. Okay. It's wow. a large butterfly, and it's quite beautiful. Wow. Okay. <laughs> Thanks, Kyle. Lee Thank Jasper Logan, thank you so much. Freshgrass Bentonville, the two-day all-ages music festival, returns to the momentary May 19th and 20th. Celebrating today's bluegrass and roots music featuring L. King, the Del McCory Band, Arkansas, and over 30 bands in all. Single and two-day tickets are now available at themomentary.org. Tomorrow on Ozarks, addressing a shortage of principals in rural Arkansas schools. Impact Arkansas says it's identifying aspiring leaders in rural underserved schools throughout the state and then assisting them in becoming leaders. We'll learn more on tomorrow's show. Plus, as we've moved into definite short-sleeve weather, Timothy Dennis will give us a lineup of patio music as well as live music taking place indoors all over the region for the weekend and beyond. That and much more on Ozarks at Large tomorrow at noon and 7 p.m. on 91.3 KUAF. And you can always ask your smart speaker to please play Ozarks at Large to hear the most recent edition of our show. Jazz reflects the fundamental nature of the American spirit, recognizing the importance of the individual while connecting that to the idea of cooperation. In the words of Herbie Hancock, the spirit of jazz is the spirit of openness. I'm Robert Ginsberg, and for 41 years I've been your host for Shades of Jazz here on KUAF. My gratitude goes out to you and to KUAF's commitment to presenting America's unique musical art form. Whether it's a historic recording or a brand new release, the music you connect with, the artists you relate to, will be here on KUAF. Shades of Jazz, Jazz Scoop, and our jazz station KUAF3. Help us to continue to make even more connections with your gift of support today. Go to supportkuaf.com. You can hear Robert Ginsburg's Shades of Jazz Friday nights from 10 to midnight on 91.3 KUAF. Then again on KUAF3, Saturday mornings from 11 a.m. until 1 p.m. KUAF3, mostly jazz around the clock, but also on the weekend, encore broadcasts of all of our locally produced music programs like the Pick and Post with Mike Shirky, Paul Kelso's Generic Blues Show, Hip Hop Hello, the KUAF Vinyl Hour, you get the idea. You can see a full schedule of KUAF3's programming at KUAF.com. And a listen to KUAF3, which is free, 
you can use your digital radio, whether it's at home or in your car. You can also stream at KUAF.com. You can use the free KUAF app for iPhone and iPad. And you can also ask your smart speaker to please play KUAF 3. We also have KUAF 2, which is nonstop, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, classical music. You can listen for free through all those same methods. And when it comes to classical music, you can also listen on 91.3 KUAF every Sunday through Thursday night, beginning at 8 o'clock all the way till 5 o'clock the next morning with Peter Vandergraaff. Speaking of music, tomorrow on our show, Timothy Dennis will be with me. We'll talk about all of the live, well, not all, because we can't get it all in in nine or ten minutes, but most of the live music that you'll be able to experience over the next seven days. That's on tomorrow's Ozarks at Large. Earlier today in the Furman Gardner Performance Studio, Timothy had Candy Lee and an all-star band in to perform music, talk about her new CD release that's coming up uh, later this month. That segment with Timothy, Candy Lee, and all the great musicians recording the Furman Garner Performance Studio, that will air on our May 17th show. That's one week from today. This is 91.3 KUAF. Fayetteville, Fort Smith, Van Buren's, and Withrow Springs State Park. Contributors today included Anna Pope and Chris Seawood. Big, big thank you to Lee Wood and Jasper Logan for playing along during our Ozarks at Large quiz about Arkansas State Parks. Additional material heard on today's show came from the news team at KUAR in Little Rock. Our underwriting director at KUAF is Ryan Versey. He answers questions about underwriting and other matters when you email him at ryan at KUAF.com. Our theme is titled The First Hurrah. It is written and performed by Daryl Sean. Daryl's most recent CD is called Still Here. You can find that CD and find out more about him wherever you find out about music online. Our program today produced inside the Anthony and Susan Hoy News Studio at the Carver Center for Public Radio. I'm Kyle Kellums. Thanks for being with us here, and thanks for your continued support of Public Radio 91.3 KUAF and Ozarks at Large. We make supporting Public Radio incredibly easy. You can do so right now at support. KUAF.com. There, you'll find easy and safe ways to make a contribution in the amount you choose. And should you choose to become a sustaining member of KUAF, that means giving a specific month, a specific amount each month, you can do that as well at supportkuaf.com. From the Carver Center for Public Radio, thanks so much for being with us. We're back with you tomorrow at noon and 7. I'm Kyle Kellums.